Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, it's uh, Dan Whitney, your favorite host. Some know me as Larry the Cable Guy. Some know me as Mater from Cars. Other people know me as, uh, I don't know. Honey, what do they know me as? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you can tell, uh, our guest for Talking Truth, the final installment of Brian's book, God's Not Like That, my wonderful wife, Kara. Hello. And Brian Clark, obviously, is here. Howdy. And uh, we are uh, talking about Brian's book. This is titled Leaving Home. And uh, here's the deal. We all have a past. Now, here's the thing. You can dwell on the past or you can learn from the past. And Brian's book is great. God's not like that. Check it out. And Brian will read the text. And as always, Kara and I will chime right in there. We'll do it. All right. Here we go. God created the family as the place where God is passed on from generation to generation. This is done through relationships, images, pictures, and metaphors, as well as experiences at home. This is God's design for the family. Therefore, the big question is not if you learned something about God at home. You certainly did. The question is, what did you learn? So often we leave home unaware of all the things we've learned and projected onto God. We can be clueless that we hold a messed up view of God. All we know is we struggle. This then becomes the lens through which we interpret both the Bible and the circumstances of life. For example, we read the Old Testament and all we see is an angry, judgmental, fearful God. Why do we see that? Because our view of God is messed up and that's the lens through which we interpret the Bible. This then reinforces our messed up view and things only get worse. This is also the lens through which we interpret the circumstances of life. We experience difficult times and believe God is unfair and he's unkind and he sits on his hands and watches us suffer. Maybe we conclude God is distant or apathetic or powerless to help us. We struggle to believe God is good or that he's faithful or trustworthy. This just reinforces our already messed up view of God. So often we have no idea that at the root of the problem is a faulty view of God, and that was formulated growing up at home. It's not that we are consciously aware of these misbeliefs. More often than not, they are buried deep in our subconscious minds. We often don't even know we think these things about God. It just feels like our Christian life isn't working for us. I think many Christians, if they were to be honest, would say their Christian life has not been what they hoped it would be. They have not really found that abundant life that Jesus promised. They really don't experience the joy of an intimate walk with Jesus. Most days they feel like loser Christian, and they struggle along. Maybe they try the latest program or some new ministry. Kind of like a fad diet, they just keep hoping that something will work. But nothing is really going to work until those messed up beliefs about God are identified and corrected. So the big question is, how do we do that? I've been a pastor for four decades. This is one of the most common problems I see. But just telling you your view of God might be messed up doesn't fix anything. 
It's a bit like going to the doctor and having him tell you you're sick. Him telling you that doesn't fix anything. It doesn't bring about healing. You need a remedy. This has been the struggle over the years. How do you sort all this out? This is what motivated me to write the book, God's Not Like That. It's a step-by-step process to help you assess and evaluate your experiences in your family growing up in order to identify areas where your view of God is messed up. The goal is to help you formulate a more accurate view of God in order to find the life in Christ that your soul longs for. The goal is not to create conflict between you and your family. That would be displeasing to God. This is not about blaming others for your problems today. It's about correcting a wrong view of God. One way to view this is to realize the more accurate your view of God is, the more you should respond to your family with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. An angry, bitter heart reflects a view of God that is still messed up because God is not like that at all. We want to pass on a right view of God to the next generation, but you can't pass on what you don't have. You can't pass along a right view of God if you don't have a right view of God. The abundant life Jesus promised is available to you, but to experience that, you must cultivate a right view of God. You may be very relieved to discover that God's not like that. So one more time, let's bring in Dan and Kara. Let's talk about this. So we leave home with a view of God that becomes a lens through which I interpret both the Bible and life. This is a big problem, isn't it? It's a huge problem. Uh, I was probably, I think, 19 when I left home. And uh, I left in my Pontiac Grand Am with a flip map of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and off I went with a lot of anger. But here's the good news. And how many years did you dance? Oh, come on now. <laughs> Don't start that rumor. So, but here, here's the big problem. Um, I was very angry at everything. And yes, everything that I learned at home came through. Um, and, but this is what's cool about it. Jesus came into my life and I realized I was the problem, not my family. Mm. I am the problem. And as Jesus started uh, smoothing out my rough edges, the relationship with my family everybody's rough edges started to smooth and they saw a change in me. But when you said it would be displeasing to God to blame others uh, for the problems, I created those problems. Yeah, I had the wrong view of God, but I had to take personal responsibility for my actions because I still knew the difference between right and wrong. And I am a sinner that is saved by his amazing grace. And when I did that, I changed. Even Dan, I mean, he he liked me enough to marry me. I was whatever, but then he saw a change in me too. Absolutely. I mean, it just breaks you down. So. Think about that all the way back when you chose to own yeah. that the problem is me. Yeah. And it set a completely different trajectory to the path of your life. 
think about if you had made a different decision. If you'd have continued to be angry and bitter and blame your family, like where would your life be today? I think that the biggest thing people need to identify is resentment. I think it's hard to spot sometimes because sometimes we're right in our feelings, but we have to be willing to be the first one to go. I'm, I might be right. You wait around for an apology you're never going to get, or you can forgive and move on and find your part in it. And it breaks the entire family down, Brian. My whole family, there's my sisters are walking with Jesus. Uh, my mom, my dad is softening. So, like, it has, it's just been amazing. And still continuing to pray for my family. And it's, yeah, if I would have gone another direction and continued, all it's doing is it's killing me. You know, it eats you from the inside out. Yeah. You know. It's a great story, but it, not an easy, not an easy path. No, because I just wish I would have known Jesus earlier because I would have made different decisions in my life. And I may or may not have the life I have now. I might not have met Dan or whatever, um, but I, I don't know that. And I just, I have shame. I, ca- I carry, I hate it because I know that if we, by doing that, my standard becomes higher than God's. He's forgot about it. And so, but because I know God, I know he's forgiven me. And I, you have to, because the enemy's going to come back and keep going at you on the, all of those things. And you just go, nope, nope, because I'm forgiven and I know that. But, and I get to tell others. That's what is cool about it. Yeah, and I'm going to say that your story is what it is because that was what was necessary yeah. to get you to the point where you realize you need Jesus. Yeah. And now the rest of your eternity is changed. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we all have things we wish were different, but it led you to Jesus, and the story's become a beautiful story. Yeah, and there's much more joy knowing that um, those things don't matter. I mean, I— like I said, the, the consequences is that I wish I could have done it differently, but I it is I got me to Jesus, so I mean yeah. I'm thankful for That's that. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what uh, taking a little, some personal responsibility and forgiveness will do for people. Absolutely. You know, and where do you learn about that? You learn about that through God. You yeah. you you understand what He's all about when you get into the pages and you get close to him and you want to learn about him. But yeah, that's one thing we definitely don't have in this world. No one takes personal responsibility. They blame other people for everything. And obviously there's literally no forgiveness in this world. And uh, man, that's the awesome thing about Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. You know, he'll forgive you. I mean, it's a, you said it, it's an angry, defensive, it's not my fault culture. Absolutely. And as long as we take that posture, you know, I, I say to people in my office, I hope you're enjoying your misery because you're going to continue to be miserable until you make some changes. 
Mm-hmm. It's like that frame of mind is not going to get you anyway, anywhere except more misery. Well, I was in the Word, and I think the magnitude of realizing what Christ did for me um, really started, you know, you identify some things, but people in your office or people listening, what are practical ways to identify those beliefs of, about God that aren't accurate? Yeah, so I think noticing responses and reactions to truth claims from the Bible. So maybe you're sitting in church, you're having a conversation with a friend, or you're reading the Bible yourself, but you have funny reactions to certain stories or certain truth claims, and you realize that kind of pushes a button for me. So I've mentioned before, we we sing all these wonderful songs in church. One I think about we sing is God is good all the time. Right. And I think probably because of my own story, I know there's so many people sitting there that they're not convinced that's true. Yeah. I mean, when you're in it and you feel like you're getting picked on by God. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel like he's good all the time. But that reaction is something to notice. It's like, well, how come I don't think God is good? Or how come I don't think I can trust him? Or how come I keep going back to these same behaviors so wrestling with some of those questions, there must be something I believe about God that isn't true. I also think like in friendship groups or small groups, if you have friends that really know you and care about you, they might say, hey, Dan, I happen to notice you kind of responded funny to this. And sometimes people will be like, wow, I didn't even realize I did or I said this. Or people check out or they make a kind of an odd joke or you know, kind of the nervous laugh. They're just these ways where we're struggling to process or comprehend something from the Bible or something maybe the preacher's saying or whatever. And it's like, there's something there that's causing you to struggle to believe this is true about God. So I think noticing those things and then through the Bible, like like we've spent quite a bit of time going through the Old Testament. We've gone all the way through the book of of uh, Genesis on the podcast. Well, there's a lot of really hard stories in there, and it's like, how do you view God? Do you see God as angry and wrathful and judgmental? Is that what you're seeing in those stories? Yeah. And if so, why, why is that? Because that's not what I see. Yeah, I've actually heard people with that comment. They don't like the Old Testament because they feel like God's mean in it. Yeah. And it's you know? like, well, why, rather than arguing with them, it's like, well, why do you see God as me? Yeah. What makes you think that? Well, we say we're always clamoring for justice, and then when God actually does it. Yeah, we don't like it. We don't like it, yeah. you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what's that about? I, I remember uh, listening to, you know, sermons. I listen to sermons all the time, and I just love them because I always feel like the Holy Spirit's going to reveal something. And I remember one time going, Oh, so and so needs to hear this sermon, and then you know the next day, so and so should hear this sermon, and then realizing that <laughs> mm-hmm. why do I feel like everybody else needs to hear? Yeah. And so starting to look at my own critical, like, well, maybe I'm getting a little bit too yeah. preachy here, you know. So what, another way to think about it too is my, my definition of temptation is it's the invitation to meet a legitimate need or desire through illegitimate means. 
And it always comes down to one thing. Every time I give in to temptation, it's because I don't trust God. I don't trust God. He's not going to meet this need, so I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. So rather than just beating yourself up all the time, a good question is why don't I trust God? Why don't I think he'll be faithful to meet this need or desire in my life? That's another way to identify something's off in my view of God. Yeah. I, uh, you know, leaving the house uh, when I was 19 in the Grand Am with the flip map and um, because I didn't feel like um, with my view that my my parents were there when I really needed them. I felt like I was sort of on my own in the world. It's interesting how the other day I was reading through Elijah and God dries up the stream and he's moving Elijah off. And I thought, how would I respond to that? You know what I would do? I would start digging a well to see if I can find water instead of listening to God like, I'm moving you off, trust me. I'm gonna dig a well and think I'm gonna find water there. You know, so, I mean, you just learn things about yourself and how you would respond, Yeah, you know. Hmm. Right. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I, I, if God dried up the water and literally appeared before me, <laughs> that might be different. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because there he is. He didn't appear, though, before him at the, wa- at the water. Right. Yeah. What was the name of the stream, Brian? Yeah, that stream. What's the stream? The name of the stream that the uh, where Elijah was. Mm-hmm. That stream. That stream. Mm, I'm on the same page as you, Dan. Yeah. What's the name of that stream? The it, River Kareth. Yeah. Like oh, your yeah. name? Yeah, a little bit. But my only thing is, what well, the verses that where those that haven't seen me and still believe and have the faith to believe. You know, they're very blessed because they believe without seeing. And I'm just going back to her thing. Was pro- for those, pe- for like the old prophets that actually talked to God and heard his voice in the air. I mean, and they still disobeyed. <laughs> I mean, that's like, obviously, it's hard for us because we don't even get to see him or hear a physical voice. You yeah. know? Well, the ravens were feeding him, right. so God was taking care of him. Right. And the whole time, you know, that's the other thing that um, that I got out of it is the whole time people were trying to kill Elijah, and he was sort of like, why am I over here? And the ravens are feeding him, so God's taking care of him, but he's putting him over here to keep him safe. Yeah, you know? and I mean, so many of those Old Testament heroes— Elijah was on the mountain for, what, three years uh, by himself. David was in the wilderness 16 years before he finally got to the throne. Joseph was sold into Egypt. I mean, you got, got these stories where Moses, 40 years in the wilderness yeah, before God called him to deliver his people. It's like that's often part of the story. Right. But we don't like that. So as we pull this together, like what are one or two things both of you would say to encourage our listeners to pursue a more accurate view of God? Like what what has been the most helpful for you? You can't change from the outside in. You have to change. It comes from the heart, so you have to change from the inside out. And the only way to change from the inside out 
is to get close to Jesus and learn what he says. And the more you do that and the closer you get, the more you start to heal from the inside out. The key is we're never going to stop sinning. We're never going to stop doing stupid things. The key is to get to know Jesus and to sin less and less. That's the key. And we do that because we trust him. And we do that, yes, because we and you'll begin view. Yes, you'll begin to trust him because you'll have you'll start to get a correct view of who God is. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I God loves me. Um, I don't deserve that, but He loves me regardless, and He died for me. That's how much He loves me. So, uh, getting to know God, He's love. Everything He does is good. He can't go back on His promises. Um, So I just trust that everything that happens in my life or whether it's my fault or that sometimes things happen and I just trust that whatever is going on uh, I know that something good's going to come out of it whether it's here or you know it'll be redeemed on the other side or made whole in some way so I just trust that I just trust that he's good and you believe that. And I believe it. Because I, you have a right yeah, view of God. I Yeah, I that's just it. I do believe I have the right view of God. I do know I'm a work in progress. Yeah, and we all are. We're all a work in yeah. progress. Yeah. And uh, he continues to love me through that. And he is refining me. And sometimes that doesn't feel very good. But I appreciate it. And, um, and I love him. Although sometimes he's... It feels a little rough, but he is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coaching, correcting, not punishing. True, yes. My dad always said that Jesus didn't love me, but he thought that he said that he thought he said I had a great personality. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a very wrong view. Oh, boy. (laughs) Hi, this is Kara Whitney, and I'm super excited to be part of this podcast. This season's series is based on Brian's book, God's Not Like That. Now, this book has been out for a few months, and it's already a bestseller, so that should tell you something. I know I've got a copy, and if you'd like one too, just visit TalkinTruth.com. That's talk with the letter N, truth.com. That's all for now, so be sure to subscribe and don't miss one single episode. Get it done.